Hello, friends, and welcome back to my book review podcast. I'm Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions. I'm a Christian playwright, a Latin and English teacher, and now a podcaster, apparently. This is Unknown Friends, episode six, and my very first review of some nonfiction books. I'm talking today about two works of Christian nonfiction that I read for the first time this year, and I had to include them both today because they were both so good and helpful to me, and I'm excited to share them with you. They're not specifically related in any way, but they're both recent publications, and one is about prayer and the other about Bible study. And since I read them both recently, they seemed like as good a pair as any to combine into one podcast episode. So the books are A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller and Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. And I'll start today with A Praying Life. The author Paul Miller is the founder and director of See Jesus, which is a global discipleship mission that's been around for just over 20 years now. He is also the author of several books and Bible studies, and his book, A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World, was first published in 2009. The book was first recommended to me by my sister Lorray, as a lot of my favorite books are. And since then, I've heard a few other friends speak highly of it as well. So this spring, I finally read it, and I found it to be just as worthwhile as had been promised. So here's an overview of what Miller discusses in A Praying Life. He starts by laying the groundwork for prayer, describing what it means, what it looks like to approach God as a child would, uh, dependently, openly, with trust. He also takes some time to describe the opposite of childlikeness, which he identifies as cynicism. And if you're anything like me, cynicism doesn't sound very close to home, but he helped me realize that it's easier to slip into than I might expect. He then broadens his scope a little and discusses things like our cultural cynicism and how that can invisibly influence our view of God and his working in our lives. He, uh, he describes Jesus and the way he prayed and how we can imitate him. He also discusses various kinds of things we uh, do and don't tend to pray about and the reasons for that. And he eventually then expands to explore what he calls God's story, uh, the transformations in us and those around us, which happen and we start to notice when we pray. And he doesn't mean by this that God always answers our prayers, or certainly not in the way we expect, but praying itself changes us and draws us into the narrative that God is creating, even when our requests seem not to make any difference in the world around us. So, Miller spends some time here later in the book explaining what the praying life looks like, right? The title of the book, not just prayer as an activity or a duty, but the way our whole orientation toward God and toward others 
is shaped by prayer and and how and why we pray. Obviously, prayer is so central to our personal relationship with God that if we are uneasy praying or view it as a way to try to control God, our life is going to be uh, seriously askew. Everything stems from that relationship, that uh, communication with God, that dwelling in his presence and dependence on him. So, some key takeaways that particularly stayed with me as I read. I actually listened to this as an audiobook, and I don't very often write down quotes from audiobooks as I'm listening. I probably should more. But for whatever reason, one sentence in this book struck me in a unique way, and I had to write it down. Uh, This is from his chapter titled, Surrender Completely, Your Will Be Done which is full of gems, actually. But the statement that really caught me was this one. The great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. It is trying to discern and then disown my own. The quotation probably doesn't have quite the same effect out of context, but his point here is so insightful. If anything keeps us from praying or from truly connecting with God through prayer, I think it is this. It's it's our desire for, or our sense of, control. When I think that my life is in my hands, or isn't but should be, that is a big lie. And it necessarily creates in me resistance to God. Because the truth is, My life is in his hands, and he knows far better what is best for me than I do. It's not until I acknowledge my need for him that the path is cleared between me and him, and and I can communicate with him in prayer and gain strength from him and come to recognize what he would have me do. Earlier in this same chapter, Miller writes, When I accept the place that God has given me in traffic, a checkout line, or with a whining child, I open a small door from my soul to God. So, it's it's in surrender, in trust, in total release of control that I'm able to connect with God, and everything then goes so much better in my life. I'd really love to just read you this whole chapter, but I guess that's not an option. But let me let me just repeat that first quote that struck me and a couple sentences that follow it. The great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. It is trying to discern and then disown my own. Once I see that, then prayer flows. I have to be praying because I'm no longer in charge. Either I see all of life as a gift or I demand that life have a certain look to it. And that brings me to the other big takeaway that was especially helpful to me. This this idea of seeing all of life as a gift, and Paul Miller's presentation of the bigger story that God is telling in and around us. I guess uh, I guess a simplified way to say what I took from this is that I'm I'm starting to learn to keep track of answered prayers, uh, not not keeping score 
uh, between answered and unanswered prayers. In fact, not keeping track of unanswered prayers really at all. I just mean um, acknowledging God's presence and work in my life, connecting the dots between uh, what I talk with him about and what happens in my daily walk and in the lives of those around me. I'm, I'm talking about gratitude and a deeper awareness of the God who works all things for good for those that love him. This seems so elementary, but sometimes, at least I, need elementary things brought to my attention. Um, I don't exactly know why, but especially with the so-called little things I pray for, whether in my own life or others, it's easy for me to take it for granted when those prayers are answered. Uh, Maybe because we can often explain those answers with what we'd call natural causes. We pray for safe travels when we're going on a trip or for a friend to heal quickly from a cold or something. But often we really assume without saying it that we will travel safely and our friend will get over their cold soon. So when those things happen as we expect, we don't always think to acknowledge God as the cause, as the the preserver and healer. I mean, it sounds it sounds mystical or prideful to say, "Oh, this this person was healed because I prayed for it." Obviously, it's it's not to my credit. Um, but then again, would it be any better to go to the opposite extreme and say, "Well, it, you know, it would have happened whether I'd prayed or not, so God had nothing to do with it." Paul Miller identifies that second attitude as cynicism. And in reality, claiming to know either way, God did this because of my prayers or God had nothing to do with this, both of those attitudes are prideful. They put me in a position of authority. In contrast, Paul Miller encourages a position of humility, of complete trust in God and an awareness that he is at work and he does work with and through us. Of course, not every prayer will be answered as we expect or hope, but if we live with eyes to see the divine story taking shape around us, we can perceive even some of our little prayers as threads he weaves into his beautiful narrative. And eventually we may see some of our unanswered prayers woven into that narrative as well. So that's a quick introduction to Paul Miller's A Praying Life. And I encourage you to look into it if you haven't read it before. It is well worth the time. And then we have Women of the Word. The author, Jen Wilkin, has created multiple Bible studies and She's written other books besides Women of the Word. She has two short works, uh, None Like Him and In His Image, and they explore 10 ways God is different from us and 10 ways we are called to reflect God's character. Women of the Word is also short, and it's simply a guide for personal, intentional Bible study. The full title is Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible with Both Our Hearts and Our Minds, and it was published in 2014. 
it is written with women specifically in mind, but most of the content is applicable for anyone. It's mostly the style that is geared more toward women readers. But the material I'm covering in the podcast, I think, is is valuable for everyone. Maybe I'm confessing more than I realize here, but I, I want to be honest. Before reading this book, I had this vague sense that the kind of in-depth Bible study Jen Wilkin describes was more just what you do in church or or in Bible study groups, whereas on my own, I don't really have the skills to to research and annotate and figure out what everything means. So, so I read the Bible, of course. I, I memorize scripture. I try to read it thoughtfully and apply things to my life as I read. But Jen Wilkins' more uh, structured, more studious approach is something I was missing because of my assumption that I'm not equipped for it, or maybe I don't have time for it, or whatever. Those are those are totally false assumptions. While, of course, she strongly encourages Bible study in groups and in church, she highlights the necessity of wrestling with Scripture independently, even if you don't feel like you have the tools or the background or whatever to um, to interpret all the details. And it's not that you can't ask questions of your pastor or read commentaries to help you understand the Bible. You totally should, but we can't only do that. We have to get to know God's Word personally, uh, deeply, and thoughtfully, and the very process of wrestling with it grows us. So I can't be just a reader of scripture or even just a memorizer. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, the living word, that makes me a student of the written word, and I should approach it as a student. So what's Jen Wilkins' approach? She starts with two key points to remember anytime we read scripture, and while they're not necessarily groundbreaking and may even seem obvious, I think it's still helpful to put these essential ideas into words. She says, first of all, that the mind must lead, not the heart, when studying the Bible. Uh, Knowing God and understanding his word is the thing that will grow our love for him. And second, she emphasizes that the Bible is God's story and not ours. It's uh, it's not about me. It's first and foremost a book about God, about his purposes, about his creation and church. And if I go to scripture first looking for what it says about him, then from that I can learn things about myself, about what he calls me to and what pleases him. Following from those two presuppositions, Jen Wilkin then gives a step-by-step process for how to independently study a passage of scripture. In brief, her steps are, first, we need to get a view of the big picture of the Bible, God's overarching purpose, and how the text we are studying fits into that, whether it's prophecy or uh, law or a letter to a new church or whatever. Second, we need to learn the more specific context of the passage we're studying. Who wrote it? uh, When? Why? How? To whom? 
and most of that information you can learn pretty easily from a study Bible or something like that. And third, we get down to studying the text itself, which is a process of comprehension and then interpretation and then application. And with her approach, what that looks like is taking a manageable amount of text and rereading it multiple times, taking notes, outlining, reading different translations and cross-references, paraphrasing it in our own words to test our comprehension, and eventually consulting commentaries and then, of course, considering how the meaning of the text should impact my life. That's the nutshell version of her process, and she also includes chapters on patience and prayer and how we should incorporate both of those into our personal Bible study. She also has one chapter at the end called Help for Teachers, with specific guidance for anyone who might be not just studying individually, but leading a group Bible study. So that's a useful uh, resource. Like I said, in one sense, there's nothing groundbreaking here, nothing that uh, blew my mind, but I thought Jen Wilkins' recommendations were solid and straightforward and and well-balanced. It's a short book. She doesn't waste time getting to her points, but they're great points and easy to implement. She has a very sensible view of Bible study, and she's not trying to make theologians of everyone, but she takes Bible study seriously, as we all should, and recognizes that Bible literacy is important, and the more deeply we study God's Word, the more deeply we'll grow in our love for God. One of my favorite passages in her book is is from the closing chapter, and she's following the train of thought, we become what we behold. She, she quotes 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And right after that, she writes this, There are really only two possibilities in this life. Be conformed to the image of God or be conformed to the pattern of this world. No doubt you want the former, but be warned. The word is living and active. It will conform you by dividing you. And in the dividing, miracle of miracles, it will render you whole. So beautiful. And and I appreciate her emphasis on the transformative power of Bible study. Now, since books like these are wonderful, but only useful if we as readers take that last step of implementing their truths in our lives, I'll just mention the ways I've been able to start applying what I've learned from these two books. So, um, in accord with Jen Wilkins' guidelines, I started a new study on my own of the book of Ephesians. As she suggests, I've printed out a double-spaced copy of the whole book so that I have plenty of room to, to scribble by hand all over the pages. And I've read the book through a couple times, and I've done a little outside reading about the context of the letter. And I'm now just continuing to reread different translations, looking more closely for the structure, the, the linear progression of ideas, 
and the themes that keep resurfacing and I'm I'm making notes throughout the process. So I'm really enjoying it. And again, it's not like her process is, you know, drastically different, but to me it just it feels like an opportunity to renew my intentionality and approach the scripture not just as a reader, but as a student. Because while it's important to read lots of scripture, whether you're uh, reading through the Bible in a year or something along those lines, this side, the the slow, careful study, uh, spending weeks in, in just a single book of the Bible is perhaps equally important and gives us that deeper view of scripture. So I, I'm grateful for Jen Wilkins' suggestions along this line. As for a praying life, Paul Miller is explaining a mindset, uh, a disposition in his book, which takes more time, I think, to implement and practice. But he also offers tangible ways to start to develop that mindset. So the key tool from his book that I've begun to apply in my life is a system of prayer cards. We're talking just index cards with names and topics on them. So Miller describes in detail what kinds of cards he creates, how he makes them, how he uses them, and I found this to be helpful. He he incorporates scripture to help focus his prayers biblically, and he rotates the cards he uses throughout the week so that the number of them never gets overwhelming, but he's still praying for each person or or situation regularly. Again, perhaps not mind-blowing advice, but still so practical and down-to-earth and effective. And I think his prayer cards system is a great balance between potential extremes of formal or informal prayer. Prayer with too much structure can start to feel forced or, or artificial, but without structure, it can become lazy or, or can even turn into us really talking to ourselves instead of God. So his prayer cards offer some organization without losing that, that personal, conversational nature of prayer. Last note, while of course I think these are great reads, I will just mention that I personally don't 100% agree doctrinally with these writers, but that said, I didn't feel that either of them was trying to force specific doctrinal ideas on their readers. Uh, Paul Miller also includes lots of personal stories and examples from his family, and by and large, they're helpful and enlightening, but I would hesitate to say that I totally agree with his approach to parenting especially. Obviously, I don't have a a fully formed approach to parenting since I'm not a parent. Um, And, you know, parenting is not the main focus of the book. So he does have so much good to say. I, I still wholeheartedly recommend his work. So that's it for this week's episode. I would love to hear from you. If you have thoughts or questions about either of these books, or if you have recommendations for other works of Christian nonfiction, you can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or via my website, kittywamproductions.com. 
You can also find me on Pinterest, where I have actually started a board specifically to complement this podcast. Each week, I'm adding、uh, quotes and illustrations and things related to the books I'm discussing. So that's an additional resource if you're interested in learning a bit more about each book. Next week for Unknown Friends episode seven. I'm pleased to announce that my lovely sister Lorraine has agreed to return as a guest again. We will be chatting about one of her favorite books and one that I love as well, Jane Austen's wonderful novel *Persuasion*. So, if you like Jane Austen or if you're skeptical about her, I hope you'll listen next week as we share why we think her work is so valuable. Until then, have a great week, and thanks for tuning in.